Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 260 of the podcast. It's August 22nd, 2016. My guest today is Brad White. He's the author of the recently released book titled Lean Daily Management for Healthcare, a strategic guide to implementing lean for hospital leaders. It's from uh, Productivity Press, CRC Press. It's the same publisher uh, as my books. So happy to be talking to Brad today. He is currently a senior process improvement advisor at Grady Health System in Atlanta. But I first met Brad probably going about four years back when we were both in San Antonio. He was working uh, for a health system there. So in San Antonio, he helped uh, initiate and spread these lean daily management practices at the Baptist Healthcare System and University Health System. And I was able to come and visit and see how that process was engaging leaders and staff at uh, one of the UHS clinics. So you can learn more about Brad's book by going to www.leandailymanagement.com. You can read more about the book. There's a few free things you can download. And if you want uh, links to any of that, um, easy way to reference that is going to leanblog.org slash 260. Thanks for listening. Brad, hi. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast today. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's great to be a part of it. Yeah, so we're going to you know, talk about your book, but um, you know, first, if you can talk about your background, I think the listeners you know, are always interested in hearing how you first got involved with Lean and more specifically Lean in Healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm, I arrived in the industry quite by accident, which I suspect is the case for a lot of us, especially those working the hospital side. Uh, I thought I wanted to go do a career, national security, national intelligence with CIA, NSA, some of those guys. And an army uh, injury derailed that idea very quickly. And so once I got out of the military, I was trying to figure out what's my next step. And I come from a, a medical family. My dad's an orthopedic surgeon. My mom used to be an RN. And I knew the one thing I did not want to do was work in healthcare. So I went to engineering school, and I already had my business degree at that time, so I was looking for a master's program, and I couldn't find a master's program that would let me into their mechanical engineering, which is what I really wanted to mm. do. But the University of Texas at San Antonio, they were willing to let me into their new manufacturing engineering program. And so I jumped at that and was exposed to lean and process improvement ideas for the first time. Uh, one of the courses that stands out in my head, that's funny in retrospect, was the need for lean and process improvement in healthcare. And some of the statistics that the professor showed us, I just couldn't believe. I mean, I came from a medical family. There's no way American healthcare was in this bad of shape. And well, one thing leads to another, and I find myself working process improvement in acute uh, care hospital settings. And I found out that. He was wrong, but he was wrong to the other side. It's actually worse than what he was saying. <laughs> now, I'm curious. I mean, you hear this a lot, unfortunately, of, of doctors, especially nowadays, who say, you know, they, they don't recommend that their children follow in their footsteps. And I mean, what was, what was part of it due to frustration about waste in the process, as you're seeing now on the inside or... 
Uh, actually, no. You know, my dad was very good about not trying to steer us towards any career. Um, I, I just always had the desire to break free and do my own thing. Uh, it, it's funny, though, since I've been in healthcare, he and I have had a great relationship because we can talk, uh, talk shop. And now that I know enough of the industry to actually speak intelligently about it, yes, all of that waste and frustration that he feels every day comes out. Are, are you giving him some hope that it's fixable, I hope? Um... I, you know, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. The typical orthopod mentality, and I've adopted it as well. I'm trying to get rid of it. But if there's a problem, you need a hammer. And if that doesn't work, well, you need a bigger hammer. So. Yeah. He works at a small community hospital, and they're actually going through their own lean daily management rollout right now, and I think they're two, maybe three years into it with uh, fantastic results. Yeah, and I think, you know, hopefully that, you know, I mean, I think what we see in healthcare, and maybe, you know, you've got some stories you can tell here, we see people get reinvigorated, re-energized through, oh, through, through lean, right? Absolutely, because... You know, one of, my, one of my big passions is that hospitals have this amazing gold mine. They have people that at least have bachelor's degrees, sometimes advanced degrees, um, but they got into the industry because they actually care about people and patients and wanting to make a difference. So they have yeah. a very highly educated workforce and a highly compassionate and naturally engaged workforce. Mm -hmm. And so working with them is just a blast. And then using Lean to really empower them and give them a voice. I just can't think of a better career. Yeah. I mean, that intrinsic motivation in, in healthcare is uh, really powerful, really special. Um, but yeah, if you, you talk about the, the, the technical clinical skill that's there, um, we're, we're probably not the only ones to say this, but there there's often been... Um, lacking uh, in, in in the area of, of management skills and, and management systems. You know, I, I was in China in July, and, and there was a doctor oh, wow. from an organization there talking about, you know, she was talking about three types of healthcare leaders. She said, the worst type of healthcare leader doesn't know anything about medicine or management. And then <laughs> there are some leaders that know about one or the other, and that the best leaders actually know both. And so, you know, the, your, your topic and, and for your book, Lean Daily Management, you know, that might sound really dry to people, but I mean, I think we're on the same page. That's important. How, how do you define lean daily management for, for people if they were asked, hey, you know, what, what's this book about? What, what do you mean by lean daily management as opposed to just lean in general? So, you know, the way I look at it, traditional lean, at least when I did it, and I'm not saying this is the way you should do it, but when I did it, I would go in and I would try to fix people's problems for them because, well, I was a highly trained engineer, but I was not the expert in the work. And so what Lean Daily Management is, is it's a very structured, very regimented way for leaders to spend an hour, hour and a half, every single day turning every one of their people from the person pushing the broom to flipping the OR room to their doctors, all the way up the management chain into daily problem solvers. And so all it is is it's the application of the plan, do, study, act cycle. And if you think about if a patient walks into the, into the emergency department and they say, 
I've got really bad knee pain. Give me some Oxycontin. No hospital in their right mind will jump from the symptom that the patient <laughs> has to the delivery of a, a class three narcotic. Right. Well, they won't, especially won't jump to that countermeasure. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> jumping to a solution is a habit we have to try to break, right? And so what Lean Daily Management does is it gives leaders a way to, die, to, to take the problems that they're feeling, really test them, diagnose the root cause, and then treat that. So really all we're doing is we're trying to apply the same clinical thinking we take to problem solve in the medical arena and apply it to our processes. And, I mean, do you find that is a hard habit to break? Because, yeah, you're right. I mean, my background is engineering and... You know, I have kind of you know that same progression. We we were chatting before the podcast about uh, you know my practicing lean ebook project, where one of the things I write about in my chapter is trying to retrain myself to shift from the engineer training of getting the answer versus working with others to develop things that we're going to go and test, like you said in that PDSA mindset, which is different than saying, "Oh, I found, I know the answer." You know, um, do you find? When you're working with leaders in healthcare, do they do they have a hard time breaking that habit of being the one with the answers? Absolutely, they do, and I've been doing this for years now, and I still have a hard time breaking that habit as well. Yeah. So, if this is what I do day in and day out, and I'm still fighting that habit of trying to supply the answer, uh, I can only imagine the learning curve that senior executives go through or, or managers go through. When they see a problem, they think they know the solution, and then they jump off to implement what often turns out to not be the correct solution. Yeah. And, and so one of, the, one of the ways that we try to get around that is I want to give leaders something that they can do, something that an objective way that they can measure progress even when it feels like nothing's getting done. And so where we start in order to build that habit is we start by evaluating the lean culture of the organization. And so I give a very simple model of how do you go out and tell, okay, these people are engaged, these aren't. This group, they're ready to become empowered, but they're not quite there yet, so what do I need to do as a leader to get them there? And it's a very subtle difference, but it's how do we as leaders become coaches instead of problem solvers so that we can develop problem solvers among our frontline staff. And I'm curious to, to hear about, you know, maybe kind of a, you know, a preview for, for what's in the book. How do you, what are some of the components that you break down if you're saying 60 to 90 minutes a day? Um, you know, the, you've talked about continuous improvement, which I've, uh, you know, been a huge proponent of, um, whether you call it Kaizen or PDSA or A, A3 thinking. Um, but you know, there's 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 more to it than that. What are the other components of of what a manager needs to be doing during that time? Sure, great question. So in the book, I offer a generalized approach of how do you build a lean daily management system. Now, there's a lot of other organizations that do lean daily management differently. Uh, I'm not going to say that mine's the best, but I found that it works in a wide variety of hospitals. So what I like to do when I'm working with a new hospital is I want to put up some problem-solving boards. And what a problem-solving board is, is it's just a run chart, a Pareto chart, five whys, an action plan. And then 
take senior leaders and spend 45 minutes every day at a set time rounding on these boards, interacting with frontline staff, and then working with the frontline staff behind the scenes to really figure out these problems, how do we turn them into defects that can be tracked and the root cause established. And so that's the first major component is that rounding piece. One of the magics uh, that comes out of that is that your senior leaders get to see the frontline staff, and so we're pairing problem-solving expertise with uh, process expertise. Uh, the second thing is, is frontline staff, they get engaged mm -hmm. when they realize that they have a direct line to the CEO or the CNO or the COO on a daily basis if they want. It really flattens the power structure in the organization and unleashes this wave of creativity. You know, one of the things I love about your book is you talk about uh, how to unleash that inherent creativity in the staff, and this is just another way to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one piece. Then the second piece is, is I like to use the A3 format as a coaching model. So if you've read Toyota Kata by Mike Rother, this becomes a very good structure to hang that piece on. So now I can sit down with my managers or my senior executives and take them through A3 thinking. So we're using PDSA, we're using grounding to support A3 thinking, and then ultimately go from there to build the rest of our lean program. Mm -hmm. um, you know, part of that is how do you develop your leaders? So one of the challenges that I found in hospitals is we have really good nurses, and this, these nurses, they're fantastic. They're knocking out of the park, so we promote them to management and take them out of nursing. And so we just assume that the skill set transfers, mm -hmm. but very few hospitals have a really good way of how do you take this star player, put them in a different role, and have them have the same level of success. And so these rounds, the, 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 the standard work piece of lean daily management becomes a way that we can really start developing leaders in the organization as well. So can you go back to one of the points you made? I'm curious to hear a little bit more. You talked about the problem-solving boards and the rounding and having a direct line to the C-level. I've been in a lot of organizations where people don't even know who their VP is, yet alone the C-level executives who they might see once a year. Um, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that direct line? How does that work? Is that because the executives are out and rounding? Yes, and let, let me back up just real, real quick. Uh, when I was in the military, one of the things I never forgot, one of the coolest things ever is every Thanksgiving and every Christmas, if you're on base, if you're an enlisted guy, you can't go home, you go on base, uh, you go to the, the defect, the, the cafeteria, and first off, lowest rank eats first. So the military is very good at really promoting the front line and leadership is there to support well, on those holidays, you go in and it's the base commander and the command sergeant major who's serving the mashed potatoes and turkey. Yeah. And I'll never forget that lesson in servant leadership. And that's a real buzzword in healthcare. Very few leaders really put in the sweat to make that happen. Mm. So when we have our senior leaders going out to round, I want them to go out and round with a curious attitude. They're not there to make sure things are getting done. They're there to learn and understand. And so one of the coolest things on these rounds are at the very end, 
the last question that they ask is going to be some derivation of what can we do for you? And it's every day they're trying to drive home that point that the leaders in the organization are there to take care of the front line because the front line is there to take care of the patient. So that, that direct line, if you have a VP or C-suite level person asking you every day, what can we do for you? Next time you encounter a problem, instead of complaining about management not getting it, well, now you know at 9.15 tomorrow you're going to be able to speak directly to the C-suite, mm -hmm. raise that issue, and then you're going to be able to have a conversation with it in, in a safe environment. And yeah. that is transformative in an organization. And, and what you described about um, the military, uh, you, you're probably familiar with the book Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. I haven't read it, but I'm familiar with it, yes. Yeah, but it's it's that same school of thought of uh, servant leadership and, like you said, putting in the effort. And, um, you know, I'm curious, not just with the executive rounding, but even with, uh, you know, the frontline managers, with the, you know, the 60 to 90 minutes a day that you talked about, um, you know, we so often hear people say, but I don't have time to do that. Have you found what are your, what are your strategies for trying to help people get past that, whether they're execs or frontline managers or in between? Yeah, that, that's a brilliant question. So I'm going to talk large scale and then we'll talk tactics real quick. If we can get the organization to the point where you have people every day making small improvements to their work, that is a competitive advantage that is not easy to replicate. And that that drains the swamp of the myriad of problems that manager and leaders have to deal with. So long-term, if we can make the bend, it's going to be a smoother, easier, more relaxed operating environment for leadership. So how do we get there, though? So what I like to do is I like to sit down with the staff when we're taking them through their training of how to work the board. And I'm not a very... Um, uh, uh, polite in my phrasing always. I like to be blunt. So I'll ask them and I'll phrase it just like this. I'm like, guys, what sucks about your job? <laughs> what, what frustrates you? What drives you nuts every single day when you come to work? And the way I phrase it, it gets them focused on a problem that they care about. It gets them focused on something that happens on a regular basis. And those become critical later on as we start gathering data around these issues. And so the engagement happens right off the bat. And then for the, the middle-level manager, I try to kind of keep them a little bit hands off the board because, to your point, I don't want them investing tons and tons of time until boards are ready to deliver results. And so I spend a bunch of time with them coaching from the side, congratulating, supporting, giving them tips on how to further empower their people. But the last thing I want is for them to think, okay, this is one more thing that I have to do. For senior leaders, the ones that, that put in the effort to actually start a hospital-wide rounding, they are blown away uh, at the amount of good ideas that staff have and the amount of easy, easy opportunities. So they get sold on the value fairly quickly. And most executives that I work with they tell me at the end of three to six months that rounding is the most valuable time of day for them, and it's the part of the day that they enjoy the most because that's when they're getting out to see patients and people. Mm -hmm. But it's it's hard to get them to 
even take that first step, right? Because I mean, I, I've seen cases, and you know, Joe Schwartz and I published a video with their pharmacy director saying exactly what you said, that at first it was a time investment, but then over time people built capabilities and it's a net time saver. Um, but it, 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 there's kind of a leap of faith there, wouldn't you say, that that investment's gonna pay off? Absolutely there is. That's a really good, in fact, I'm gonna steal that phrasing. It is a, a complete okay. leap of faith. So normally, most hospitals I've worked at, it's the CEO says, this is what we're doing, I believe it, go do it. And then I know I've got three to six months to show value before he or she loses interest. Hmm. The strategy I use though when I don't have that is I wanna find a leader in the organization. I don't care if it's a manager of the lab or a VP for the clinics, but I wanna find somebody who's willing to drink the Kool-Aid and I'm gonna go do proof of concept. And once I have that model line up and running, yeah. Now I want to invite the rest of the leaders in to go walk and see the difference and feel the engagement and the, uh, the enthusiasm from the frontline staff. And I let them do the selling for me. Well, and that's a smart approach, that model line or pilot concept, because I think there, I mean, it, there's evidence out there as, you know, partly why I tried to publish the video or, you know, you're sharing stories about, um, you know, there, there's evidence that it's not a completely unfounded leap of faith. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean you know, it, it's easy, but it's it's doable. But then what I hear you saying is that local proof of concept helps create evidence for others and not and not only worked at some other hospital that's unlike ours in some way that you were able to actually make it work there. Right. Absolutely. I was working one hospital system. And we were rounding, but the executives, they weren't getting it yet. And they couldn't see the value. They were doing it because they had to. And so I took them to a hospital that I'd helped build the system a couple of years before. And on our round, on one of the routes, this guy gets up. He's frontline staff. I think he was an RN. I'd never met him before. I had left that system by the time he started. So he gets up to present the board. And he, he calls a timeout. He says, okay, hang on, guys. Before I get going, you guys have to do this. And he looks right at me having no clue that I had anything to do with it getting off the ground. And so, you know, we're very polite. Yeah, yeah, you know, we'd be really excited about doing it, et cetera, et cetera. He says, no, you don't understand. You have to do this. This has transformed everything. He ended up selling that program better than I ever could. Mm. And the executives saw his enthusiasm and how genuine he was, they went back a different team than when they came. So, you know, we talk about Gimba is a really good place to go understand the problem. Uh, I think you have to Gimba, you have to go walk and see it and touch it and feel it uh, to get sold on it as well. Yeah, and you can take advantage of the opportunity to go and meet that manager who's hopefully now a uh, big advocate for what you're doing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so do you, do you take that, do you recommend that, that pilot approach for um, the whole, the whole process here? Do you pilot one piece of it or do you, do you suggest, you know, these different components of lean daily management? Is it so interconnected where it just makes sense to start with all of it at the same time? I've done it both ways. Um, and I know hospitals that are very, very slow in their rollout. 
some of the hospitals I've been in, we roll out a whole system in five weeks. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's like message you take when you're sick. Well, it depends on the ailment. So, for instance, I'm here at Grady Health in Atlanta, and we decided that the best way to roll this out is uh, along patient throughput because that's a major, major problem. It's a driver of quality, uh, a driver of finances, driver of patient satisfaction. And so we started with the uh, care management organization or case management, uh, yeah. as most people know it. And so we started there, and we've got some discharge boards going. The discharge boards are identifying barriers to flow, and now we're, we're letting the data take us where the problems are. We're going to go put our problem-solving boards and set rounding based on the data. So it's a very gentle, organic approach. And it'll probably take me a year and a half before I really have the system fully built here. And... I mean, so what, what are your thoughts about that? You know, is that just, you know, it'll take a full year. It's, it, it is what it is based on the organization and what they can absorb. Would you, do you think they could push and try to go faster? Uh, I think they could. I don't see a whole lot of value in pushing it. Uh, uh -huh. I've, I've changed my approach a lot. So, you know, if you're listening to this, please don't think that I think that I have this figured out yet. So, the, the lesson I'm trying to learn myself here is what is the maximum rate of change that an organization can withstand? Mm -hmm. And given Grady's history, they came out of near bankruptcy oh, three, four years ago, something like that. Uh, so it's been a very tumultuous time. And so we decided, it, we, Brenda Weil, my boss and I, we decided let's let's take a very gradual approach and let's let people come to us instead of pushing this out. So a little more of a pull approach. For, for other hospitals that are more high-performing where you have very developed middle management, uh, they withstand the push approach very well. So I think it, it, it really depends on what challenges is the organization facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what problems are you trying to solve? That's always, I think, a good place to start, right? Right. Um, well, and, and so I'd like to dig a little more. You know, you, you talk about patient flow, the impact that that has on quality. And, you know, right at the beginning of the book, you know, you start off by talking about the importance of quality. And, you know, I'm happy to see that because, you know, there's there's too many out there who, who equate lean only with efficiency or cost or or maybe with flow, why, why is, you know, to you, quality such an important starting point for the book and for this approach? So, you know, I think in any industry, quality is important because, you know, one of the things that's drilled into us as process people is that quality is free. You know, it's, it's cheaper to produce a quality mm -hmm. product than it is to produce scrap. The problem in healthcare is is we don't have the luxury of being able to produce scrap because that scrap is people's lives and health. Uh, so for me, uh, the business case, I get it, and there's a strong business case to start with quality, but for me, it's really, it's a moral calling. Yeah. Healthcare is not just another industry. It's, it's very special. It's very unique because our customer is our product. And so... I think you have to start there. Otherwise, you should really be in another industry if if you can't bear in mind that 
the patient matters mm-hmm. and and what we do, you know, any damage, any harm we inflict, that's a real person, uh, that's a real family that has to, to feel that impact. Mm-hmm. The, the second reason, though, is I have yet to talk to a single doctor or single nurse that went to medical school or nursing school because they really, really wanted to impact the bottom line of a hospital ledger. Yeah. Uh, I, conversely, I have yet to talk to an RN or doctor who got into this not wanting to help people. So it's a, it's a very unique situation we find ourselves in that people are intrinsically motivated yeah. to do quality work. And maybe that comes because my dad's a doctor and he got drilled into my head, but you never, ever, ever, ever compromise patient care, period, end of story. And I think a lot of administrators, they forget that, and they get so caught up in the business of running the hospital, which is important, and I don't want to denigrate that. But if you want to get your physicians on board, and if you want to engage your nurses, go take care of their patients and really focus the whole hospital around taking care of those patients, and I guarantee you the physician group that you thought was so hard to work with will suddenly (laughs) be your strongest advocate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've just seen that so many cases where um, leaders will complain about the physicians not being engaged or substitute whatever group. And if you ask them, well, what, what are you doing to engage them? Like <laughs> helping them solve problems that matter to them and their patients is the way you engage them, right? Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and tank my book sales and, and say some healthcare heresy. <laughs> but if you're rolling a program out and your nurses and your docs aren't on board with it, you should have strong reservations about the value of that program. Yeah, yeah. Because they're not stupid, and it's not that they don't care. They just don't care about the business aspect of it. They care about the patient. Yeah, and and, and I think that resistance is usually born from either it, – it could be a poorly conceived program. It could be – yeah, you know, poorly conceived in some way, um, or it hasn't been communicated well. That you know, there, there's. I mean, I think you know, there's a whole change management process that goes into any of this. Which you know, to me, back to your point about being a recovering engineer, it's not enough to say, "Well, I have the answer," therefore, logically, everyone else will follow. You have to engage people, right? Absolutely. And that's a, you know, what, how do you articulate? The why I think that's all. That's also a Simon Sinek book. Start with start from why. I think that's Sinek. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'll give you an example of these discharge boards. Uh, there was historically been some pushback from the physicians here at Grady about working on patient throughput because, from their perception, oh well, it's only about money. Mm-hmm. And they're correct in the sense there is a financial aspect to it. And I'm a, b- a big believer in no margin, no mission. Mm-hmm. But to get their buy-in and to get the case manager's buy-in, we started talking about the need for throughput in terms of the hours and hours and hours that patients are waiting in the ED, in the OR, uh, on ICU. If I want weekend discharges, I'm going to talk about the patient's families who want their loved one home for the weekend. People connect with that. They understand that. They don't understand, well, why do we need to increase our discharge by noon percentage? 
that's a cold metric, but if you can tie it back to here's the impact on the people that we serve, all of a sudden resistance melts. Yeah, and and that, that takes time. There's an investment there of working with people and finding things they're interested in, and it's probably not on the surface cost, but it's their own workplace experience, the patient, all of these other factors that they're intrinsically motivated about. That's right. I was rolling out a program in a hospital, and they had, I think it was the Studer Pillars or something close. You know, they had quality people. Uh, then they had the, the finance piece. And so the CEO was asking me, because she looked at the metrics that the frontline staff chose, and there was not a single metric around finances. And it caused, it caused her great concern. And she asked me, she says, how long should it be until we start to see, uh, you know, some, some financial metrics on here. And to her credit, she was really trying to buy into the system. And in hindsight, I, I probably should have helped her a little more, but I couldn't resist. I, I said, so I'll give you the ideal, and then we'll see what happens. She's like, okay, what's the ideal? I said, ideally, never. Because if they take care of quality, everything else will take care of itself. Um she had a hard time connecting with that answer, but I think it's it's something that we miss. If we just take care of the people, everything else will take care of itself. And you know, I, I had a previous podcast guest, I'm going to have to look up which episode number it was, who wrote a book with a fairly controversial title, I think. It says, Patients Come Second. <laughs> but the point is, out of healthcare, you know, the point is that, well, you take care of the staff, you take care of... They, and they can take care of the patient. So that was episode 200. Um, people want to go back and find that episode, leanblog.org slash 200. But you know, thinking back to China again, they were talking about that exact same concept, the need to, you know, they, that they said, you know, it's been 15 or 20 years since they've really talked about focusing on the patient. And in more recent years, they've started talking more about the need to create a better workplace environment, take care of the staff so they can take care of the patients. So it seems like that's a fairly universal discovery and connection that people are making. Yeah, it really is. I would agree with that. And where lean daily management fits with that is it's a vehicle. It's a structure that will let leaders do that if they choose to. Now, there's a strong warning here. Just like anything else, leaders can abuse the lean daily management system. And if you try to roll this out focused on the finances and focused on the margins, you will end up causing great damage to the culture of the hospital. Mm -hmm. it, it will take you years to recover. But if you roll this out and if you let people see on a daily basis that you actually care about patients and you, you were genuine and sincere in your desire to empower them to take better care of their patients, you can transform the culture of your hospital, it feels like almost overnight. And that, I think, that, that, that trying to demonstrate that is really powerful. You know, and I think it probably builds trust. And, you know, one other thing I was gonna ask is, as we start to wrap up here, I mean, I, 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 it's hard to articulate, or at least I'm struggling with it here, you know, how important trust is. and. If trust isn't there, 
if you ask what sucks about your job, people might say, oh, no, everything's fine. They don't mean it, but they might say that. Or if an executive is rounding and says, what can we do for you? You know, I've been in workplaces where people just say, well, no, 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 I don't want your help. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable <laughs> with your presence and I wish you would just leave. I mean, have, have you had to work through some of those situations where, you know, executives are trying to articulate, yes, we care about the patients and staff say, I don't believe you yet or Ab absolutely so you know i use the example uh, i i love dogs and i adopted a dog from the shelter there in san antonio i don't know five six years ago and this dog was obviously abused 100 pound dog to the point that i had to carry him the length of a football field to the car because he refused to go mm. anywhere with anybody just terrified and you know it's surprising the very next day he was kind of the same way, even though I hadn't abused him. But he couldn't understand that that was the previous owner that abused him, but I was somebody new. Right. And a week later, nothing had changed. And a month later, nothing had changed. It took a year before he finally learned to relax and trust me, but that took a year of consistency mm -hmm. on my part. Mm -hmm. You know, this if you're coming into an organization that has a caustic culture, you have an uphill road ahead of you, but you can get there just by consistently demonstrating that it's okay to point out problems. Red is good. It's okay if you mess up. Uh, it's okay to self-report. And it's going to take the organization a long time because organizations have memories, but good, consistent, gentle leadership can eventually fix that. And I've seen it happen time and again. And it's really powerful. And, and you know, uh, we, we make these analogies. Uh, yeah, you know, hospital people might not want to think of themselves as abused animals. But <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's a powerful analogy, though, you know, and, and, and I know you meant it. Yeah, I know how you meant it. But, you know, that I think, you know, the key lesson there, it takes time to demonstrate and build up that trust where there there's probably no way of shortchanging that depending on if you talked about the organization's capacity for absorbing change. There's probably also a capacity for building trust, depending on what it is you walked into, right? I never thought about it like that, but I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely. And, you know, re returning to the analogy, all it takes is one slip up and mm -hmm. you go back to zero, except now you have a harder climb. So yeah, yeah. it's a, very difficult road that requires tremendous discipline from the leaders. And I, and I think that's that's really insightful about that slip up. So what do you I mean, are, are people afraid of that slip up as you're coaching them? They say, Brad, I want to get started here and I'm going to try to be a coach instead of the answer person. But but what if I'm under stress and I screw up and I fall back into a bad old behavior? You know, I used to be worried about that because it, when I first started this, my assumption was, oh, well, if you're a leader of a hospital, you already know everything. And that was just an inherent assumption. I didn't realize I was making it. And so on rounds, I would see executives slip up. They would check email in the middle of a presentation. They would push a little hard on a metric. And I, I lost it. I could not figure out if they're going to derail the whole process. 
But it turns out people are pretty resilient, and the, the level of mess-up wasn't that bad. And the leaders, if all they had to do was go back and say, hey, listen, I apologize about yesterday, but throw it at me again today. I was surprised at how easy, if, as long as they were genuine in their approach, the accidental mess-ups almost didn't matter. It almost created a learning opportunity for everybody. So in the past couple of years, I really learned to relax. And so now what mm-hmm. I tell leaders on rounds are, you be you. And if I think you're making a mistake that's going to damage the process, just trust me. I'll pull you back. Mm-hmm. Other than that, go out. Uh, I told the leaders, our care management leaders, this just a couple of weeks ago. I said, you guys aren't making enough mistakes. So this week we're going to focus on messing up on our rounds, but we want to mess them up differently than we've ever done before. So go play with it <laughs> some. And uh, at this point, they realized that this is actually a pretty fun process. And so they did. They, they went and had some fun. They changed up all the forms. They missed data. They pushed too hard at the boards, but the staff were ready for it. And we ended up having a great time with it. That's a, inter- it's a, it's a really interesting challenge. Let's think of a new way of screwing this up. So that we can learn, we're going to learn something different, right? Right, because I realized the leaders, they were so afraid to make a mistake, it was really stifling them. And, and I, I don't know, maybe that's one way you can help build that trust is have your leaders say, okay, I want you guys to screw your board up some way next week. Push it until it messes up, until something breaks, and then we'll all fix it together. Mm. So I think, you know, I think one of the keys for this process is if you aren't having fun, revisit and let's figure out why not and let's find a way to interject some levity into it. And I think that's something people often don't think of because this is such serious business. There are such serious, serious issues at hand. You know, Pascal Dennis, formerly of Toyota, talks about um, Kaizen spirit. And part of that is, um, you know, kind of a spirit of playfulness. Absolutely. Um, which is, I think, kind of uniquely. I've, I've seen that in my two visits to Japan. You know, people at, at the same time can be really deadly serious about things, but also kind of, you know, goofy and playful. And I think that's good for creativity. I think that's good for the spirit of the organization. I think that's good in a lot of ways. So something to, something to encourage along with the other things that, that you're talking about here, Brad. So, um, we wrap up. Maybe we can do um, a second episode at some point. But the uh, the book again for the listeners is titled "Lean Daily Management for Healthcare: A Strategic Guide to Implementing Lean for Hospital Leaders." Our, our guest has been Brad White. Brad, can you talk about you know website for the book, ways people might be able to find you, connect with you online? Yeah, absolutely. So the website is leandailymanagement.com. My email is Brad at leandailymanagement.com. The book's on Amazon. Uh, on the website for organizations that want to get going, uh, I've got templates, I've got tools. Uh, we're going to have a continuing revolving door of articles. Uh, I really want to empower organizations to go out there and take their own first steps without a consultant. So uh, you can have everything that I've built is on there. And if you need additional help, feel free to reach out. Phone calls are always free. <laughs> well, good. Well, uh, again, our guest has been Brad White. Brad, thank you for um, you know sharing your thoughts on on the book and the important challenges that we're facing here with lean daily management and healthcare. 
thank you, Mark, and also thank you for being such a voice for lean and, and the need for it in healthcare. The work you do to get the word out and to empower people is critical, and you're much appreciated. No, oh, well, thank you. Very kind. So uh, we'll we'll talk soon. I hope. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.